You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook, Pride of Detroit on MySpace, question mark, YouTube, 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 on YouTube, Pride of Detroit on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. This is the Pride of Detroit POD cast, the, the POD cast, the, the Pride of Detroit podcast, the POD cast. I messed up the order there. Okay. As you can tell, I am Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter every week, bringing you the best Lions content and more than just every week. This is just a flagship. We do first bite. We do scraps. We do all those things. And you should be subscribed to us on any podcast platform, especially iTunes or Spotify, but anything you like. That other voice right there is Jeremy Reisman, fearless leader of Pride of Detroit, the managing editor at Detroit Online. Hello, Jeremy. How we doing, everybody? Did we survive our first Sunday without football? No. Or more importantly, did we survive the barrage of tweets about the first Sunday without football? No. No, no. we didn't. No. Mm. I'm dead. Wow. I'm dead. We're coming to our you first, from the afterlife. Our first post, huh? post. Why can't I say that word? Posthumous. There we go. Our first posthumous podcast. Posthumous? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Our, it is. Pod, I can confirm. Posthumous. Well, let's go live to our um, to our grammar and English language expert, Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore P.O.D. So how do you how do you say that word, Ryan? Because I've I've learned I learned the other day when I said treat when I tried to say tripe to someone that I had never heard the word said out loud before. So I'm not an expert. Is it posthumously? Yeah, you got it. Jeremy had it. Yeah. Posthumous. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what. What is this uh, where I dab? No, please do don't. Do we do that? Um, I was, <laughs> I, I dab. Gonna, do we have that emote? I, I was going to say a lot of people made it through Sunday. Um, unless you like decided to go skiing or something, oh, then you I probably, you. <laughs> yeah, then, Pushing then, my you buttons came, already. then you probably came back and nope, realized nope, we're not doing this. Pissed off the wrong, nope, the wrong team's uh, Twitter. Nope, account. nope, Twitter. nope. We're not doing this. How I'm trying to poke the bear. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyways, anyway, what, what do we want to talk about? So we've got some miscellaneous news to start. Here's what's going to happen on the podcast. We're going to start with a mailbag. We haven't done a mailbag in forever. And usually we have these mailbags backloaded, right? They're usually at the end of the podcast. We're going to start with one. And then later on the show, we're getting into a year interview of Dan Campbell, just like how we did Brad, a Brad Holmes year interview. We are going to do a year interview with Dan Campbell. You guys have asked for it. I think we have plenty of time now 
to deduce what that, what the Lions head coach has been up to, what has worked, what hasn't, what we want to see in the future. But first, we're going to start with a little bit of the news and some of your mail questions to start the show. So we'll go over to Jeremy here. Uh, what kind of news have we missed in the week so far, Jeremy? I mean, the biggest one was was Mark DeLeon, um, just quietly removed from the Detroit Lions website. And real quick by, for the people who might not be in the know, Mark DeLeon position was linebackers coach, linebackers coach. Yep. Um, and yeah, just quietly removed from the website. The Lions still have not made a formal announcement of, of his firing or mutual parting. We don't really know any of that, but uh, local reporters have confirmed that he won't be with the team next year. Um, it's curious. It's strange. The timing is weird. The fact that the Lions have not announced that he's, Gone is weird. The fact that he hasn't found another job yet is weird. I, 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 I found out it happened a couple days before it, it was leaked by, by the media. And I, I did some digging. I couldn't find anything. It's just, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to suggest anything, but I feel like the timing of it is weird because they went through the senior bowl. Like they, they went through their self scouting in January and waited midway through February to make this move um, seems weird. <laughs> That's all I can say. And I know people have been asking about replacements and I really think this is a team that's going to be promoting from within a lot. So they have a couple candidates on, on staff, a couple guys that, that were coaching up the linebackers during the senior bowl and, and Steven Thomas, who's um, I think currently a defensive quality coach and uh, David Correo. Um, the, 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 the thing about Correo is he's in the football research department now and hasn't really coached positions in a while. Um, so I don't know if he would go do it. I think, I think maybe Steven Thomas would probably be best fit to, to kind of uh, take over that role, but, but just a weird situation. Jeremy, I was wondering why, why wouldn't they give that position to Kelvin Shepard? <laughs> he already has a position. He's already I, the edge coach. And I know you're teasing. You're making fun of someone on Twitter, Ryan, that you're internet bullying right now. And I don't approve of it. I'm sub podcasting. You're sub podcast, <laughs> sub tweeting on a podcast. It's next level stuff. Um, other news we have here. So all's quiet on the, on the front of Aubrey Pleasant. He's interviewed uh, as the defensive coordinator now with um, New Orleans, but I know they've got a few other candidates that they're talking to Michael Wilhoyt. Uh, I think, I hope I said his name, right. Who was the chargers linebackers coach. You can still promote from within, but nothing new to report there on that front. People still got to keep their fingers crossed when it comes to Aubrey Pleasant. Also, no new, t- no tight ends coach yet to replace Ben Johnson, who has moved up to offensive coordinator. Nothing yet there either. Yeah, so. I, I'm still pretty convinced they're going to promote from within there, there too, because um, God, David Ingstrom, I think that's his name. Um, he basically took over that role for the second half of the season once, uh, once Ben Johnson um, right. kind of became the pass game coordinator. So I think that that one's probably going to happen. The, the, the weird thing about, I do think they might add someone from the outside on the defensive staff because they have nine offensive coaches on their website and they only have six defensive coaches. So if they replace a, a coach with an external guy, it might be that linebackers. Yeah. Position. Other than that, the only other thing to report, Jason Kabinda has re-signed two-year deal with the Lions. Uh, I like the quote that came out today and we'll, we'll get into it when talking about um, Dan Campbell. In fact, I'm going to save the quote that he gave until we talk about Dan Campbell, because I think it's very telling about Dan Campbell's strengths, but he has some very nice things to say about DC, but I think we should turn it over to Ryan who 
sent out a tweet this morning. He wanted to get some questions in while he was on his third cup of coffee playing Halo. So, uh, Ryan, God bless America. God bless America. Yeah, man. You want to lead with this. So I, I figured you can be the person who like pitches the first question out and I can like rotate on some of the questions so you can get your first answer in. But since this, this is your mailbag, I kind of want to give you the reins. Oh, sweet. Yeah. No, you crack are, my knuckles and I'll get right into it. Are we getting a mailbag theme too? Are we still, are we bringing that one? We, we brought back that. The, that, that was, that was blues. Guy. I was about to say that was, oh, do I even still have the theme? The blues blues theme. <laughs> <laughs> Can I even use it without getting like, you know, a lawyer at my door? DMCA. Probably not. I was yeah. going to say it, it might, might be somewhere on like an iPod shuffle or something. <laughs> yeah, around. I do have, oh, holy God. All right. This is just for the Twitch stream. I do still have my iPod mini. It was wow. sitting here. I was sitting here in like one of my coffee mugs. What a relic. Um, speaking of 60 gigs, I could probably boot this up still. Anyway, go on. Oh man, that's a lot. Uh, okay. Anyway, so yeah, mailbag. Um, so the first question comes from at Idaho kneecaps, um, on Twitter. He says, I know it's not sexy, but would love it. If you guys talked a little about golf and why it is, everyone is in such a hurry to dismiss him after a promising second half of the season. Rookie quarterbacks are fun to talk about, but isn't it, uh, taking serious risk versus going with what, you know, so essentially his question boils down to, didn't golf do enough in the second half of the season to keep quarterback talk in the draft at bay. So is this segment, what you not talking about Willis? Is that, is that what we're doing? Oh God. No, no. Uh, Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Let me, let me try to take a crack on it. I think he did. Yes. And no. I think he did enough that we don't need to say that this is a complete disaster at the situation that is an overwhelming need. I don't think he proved that he's any kind of long-term solution just yet. I think he would have to, and I hate to throw this on him, but you want to talk about changing the perspectives. He almost has to play at like a pro bowl level at this point. Um, all we've really known about him is the same thing we've known about him from LA now is that when, th- when he has a scheme mismatch, he is very bad. And But when he has everything kind of working for him decently well, he can win you a game here and there, but he's not going to be the preeminent guy who you want. He's not going to be the guy you want leading the team. He's not even at a Tannehill level, I would say. So he, he had a couple of, he had some good games late into the year, but the loss is still piled up in the second half of the year. I think we just put emphasis on how well he was playing in some cases, but there were still some games where it just what like golf hadn't really got to preeminent level yet. So I'm, I'm still not, I think it has cooled, but I I'm still of the mind that the lions take a quarterback in the draft. I'm not going to see that as a bad move. For me, it, it's just sample size, right? I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. essentially four games that he played well. They went three and one. He, he got a pet. I think he finished with a pass rating over a hundred in those four games. But it's hard for me to erase not only training camp, not only the previous 12 games, but also the previous two years in L.A. where, I mean, it's consistency, right? Like it's a consistent same problem of of being hesitant to push the ball downfield. It's it's bad pocket presence. It's taking bad sacks. It's the turnovers. We can't forget the turnovers. They happen like. Remember that Green Bay game when everyone's just like this guy can't hold on the ball. He's fumbling all over the time Four four games. He played well. And he played really well. And listen, 
the conditions around him improved and they're, they're likely going to be improved next year. So the offensive line was better with Taylor Decker returning. You get Josh Reynolds, you're, you're, you know, three months into your, you know, learning the playbook, you get Ben Johnson um, helping you out as, as quote unquote, offensive coordinator, the conditions improved and he improved. That's a great sign. And I think the best part of all of this, all of this is that we know he's going to be here in 2022 He's essentially got another year to prove it. The question now is, will they draft a quarterback? And I think this maybe goes into the category of, well, at least you don't have to rush and get a quarterback this year because the benefit is you get to see golf another year and you get to see if maybe he does turn things around and he does turn into 2018 Jared Goff instead of 2019, 2020, and the first three quarters of 2021 Jared Goff. But to me, that that the trajectory of his career has been going down for three years, essentially at this point. So a four game improvement isn't, isn't going to sway me much. Simple as that. Yeah. And and I think I'm at the point where um, I agree with a little bit of of what both you and Chris have to say, because I I think what those last four games is they bought me and, and it was kind of the season at large. Like it made me think about like, this is the beginning of the rebuild. And it's like, everything doesn't hinge on year two. So if, if they don't want to go quarterback, I think Jared Goff did enough in those last four games, because I, I, I think, you know, I mean, I think we can all agree that the best thing that happened to Jared Goff was two things, Taylor Decker returning. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, Ben Johnson starting to, to scheme up some of these plays. Right? And then Josh, Josh Reynolds and Amon Ross St. Brown getting more of a rhythm with him. Right. And, but, you know, Amon Ra was here all year. Why, why did Amon Ra start to pop off in the second half of the season? You know That's what I mean? Point. Like, yeah. it, it might it might have been like just getting acclimated to the league. But at the same point, I think it all comes back to those two things. And Ben Johnson had a huge deal with it. And you can just see it in the stats because, you know, like Jeremy said, it, it, we're really going off a of four game sample size. There was not a game. Um, where Jared Goff's average depth of target dipped below 6.7 um, in those last four games. Uh, against Minnesota, 8.6. Against Denver, um, against Denver, 8.5. 6.7 against the Cardinals, and that game was a wrap. And then 7.1 versus Green Bay. And, and I think that goes to show, because if you look at the rest of his season, I mean, he had games where it dipped to like 4.6 and 4.4 and 5.2, like – Jared Goff was getting down the field and he was doing a little bit more to prove to us the things that we were concerned about the most, right? In the beginning of the season, it was like Jared Goff is afraid to take shots down the field. And then that changed in those last four games to the point where I, I still want to lean on that first half of the season, but at the same point, I, I, I want to give him and Ben Johnson a little bit of a chance. All right. Next question up. What you got? Okay. Um, so second question, um, from at Brad Holmes kid, uh, on Twitter, he asked so much attention has been paid to the receivers in the draft. I would like to hear more about the free agent options at that position and who would be a good fit with Goff and can play outside. So I think the big question is finding someone outside. Right. And that's not probably going to come cheap. I had mentioned like guys like Juju Smith Schuster. And I was looking at, um, Oh, who was it? Uh, uh, from the from the Dallas Cowboys, I forget his name now. Michael Gallup. No, 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 no. Cedric Wilson. I was thinking of Cedric Wilson, but those are both like inside ga- inside guys. We're looking for someone on the outside, and it's gonna come. It's gonna come costly, no matter what. Now, I could maybe see them going for someone like I don't know what, like DJ Shark, maybe. But you're not. I 
I, I don't know. Like I was having conversation about, could they go after Allen Robinson? And I think that's way too rich for the blood. You're going to see guys who are going to be developmental or at the very least, it's going to be another a shot, right? Like I, I, I find the lions far more, far more likely to sign Will Fuller than to sign Allen Robinson. I think is my best way to put it. It's going to be a guy who you're going to look at. You're not going to like the name up front. So I, I think spending, if there is any spending for it, those are your options or those second, are those like second run guys who have kind of like petered out a bit and they're still going to, even then those guys are still going to run you something like 10 million. Now are the lions ready to spend like that for that position? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so either. And this is why I think the conversation has revolved more around the draft, other than the fact that I think the draft is pretty deep at the position. I mean, if, if you want one of the top guys, you want an Allen Robinson, you want a, you know, <laughs> Allen Robinson. What, I mean, what, <laughs> what, I, I like, I, I don't, I don't, you're going to be paying 12, 14, 16 million a year. Cause it's a high profile. Yeah, even for position. guys like over, even for guys like over 30, you're going to be paying something like, you know, 8 million, 6 million for the and, service of someone like say, uh, I don't know, Emmanuel Sanders or T Y Hilton. Right. And I don't, I mean, if, if the lines want to get competitive right away and do something like that, I guess you can. But to me, one, I don't think they have as much salary cap as people seem to think they do. And they don't have a ton of ways to create it. Eric wrote a really good article about the restructures and, and only maybe one of the seven makes sense. And they can't do it. Like they can only, they have a roster that's so young that they don't have a lot of options because when, when players are on rookie deals, you can't really restructure them. So they don't have a lot of restructuring options. They have basically Trey flowers as, as their one main cap casualty candidate candidate, unless you want to get rid of Vitae too. And so you're left with about 30, maybe 30 ish million in, in usable money. And you, you can, are you going to spend a third of that on a wide receiver or are you going to get young and, and try to develop that way? The timing doesn't seem right. I know, I know this person is specifically asking us to look at specific guys, but I haven't for a reason, because I, th- I think like the answers you guys aren't going to be really excited with. Cause I think they shouldn't be going for a one, right. They should be going for a wide receiver too. And to me, like they can't, they can't pay for a prototypical one. They're going to be paying for right. a two or three to be a one. Right. And so are you looking like you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders, Russell Gage, or are, are these the kind of guys that really going to be drumming up excitement for you? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not excited about adding a free agent wide receiver and I'm just not that interested in it. The only, yeah. the only thing I could really see maybe is like, say, I'll give you one specific name that I could see. But again, he is a three that you're asking to masquerade as a one or at least a one a with like St. Brown and Josh Reynolds. And that's Zay Jones out of the Raiders. And again, like he's, he ranked like what 50th among, among receivers in PFF last year, but he's 20, he's going to be 27 and he's probably going to command you like 6 million a year. Yeah. I, I can assure you that most of the names that you guys just said, nobody nobody was interested in they all they all scoffed at it and i he, yeah because you're but you're not going to get the young whip smart you're not just that's the that's the nature of the market you're not going to get a young guy that you will get on the cheap and will give you team control for a long time those guys just don't exist well they yeah they don't exist at all unless you're getting them through the draft so yeah. i mean the the thing is is 
I know the names that are really popular, right? Like Mike Williams with the mm-hmm. Chargers. Like that's a really popular name. Christian Kirk uh, with the Arizona. Although Cardinals. he's a he's a slot guy, though. Kirk's a slot guy. outside. Yeah. He, he, I mean, I, I think he can do a little bit of both, but I think the other names that are thrown around are two guys who, who you know, are going to be coming off ACL injuries. Chris Godwin and Michael right. Gallup are really interesting names because, like, is there a team that is going to to sign them when they both got injured rather late in the year? Um, how ready are they going to be by the start of next season? I mean, I'm assuming that they're probably going to get fair value, but like those are the names where it's like, oh, I don't know. Can the Lions get a wide, a bottom, like a bona fide wide receiver one at a discount because of, you know, the ACL injury, or or will they get more interest if they pay a little bit more than another team? I don't know, but I, I, I think it's going to be really telling no matter what because Brad Holmes last offseason said like. I'm not paying for either of these positions. Like he didn't go out and get a safety. He didn't get a wide receiver. He let Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Jamal Agnew, everybody walk. So like, I think he's going to, I think, I think these are the top two seat like positions where I see him making a decision. Like, Hey, do I invest in like a safety like Marcus Williams or do I go and get like a wide receiver? And I, I think that most of us would agree that it would be a safety. Yeah. All right. I'll throw one name. And okay. it, it's a risky one because he's had a pretty long, lengthy injury history, but maybe that's the kind of dice that the lines are going to roll. They're these chip on the shoulder guys, right? Will Fuller. Yeah. I like yeah. Will no, Will, Will Fuller is Will Fuller is someone who struggled with injury for a long time, but he's like, what? He's 27. I believe Jeremy. Um, Somewhere around that range. I think. Yeah. yeah he's 27, 28. Um, PFF says projected contract one year, 10 million though. I don't think you'll get 10 million, but still like that's, that's what you're looking at for any of these kind of guys. Yeah. All right. We got time maybe for one, maybe two more, Ryan, what you got? Okay. Uh, Well, I I know that you'll be interested in this question, Chris, uh, from at UK weight on, on Twitter, a little Latino heat love. Um, I think y'all should talk more about the idea of Hamilton at two. He's arguably the best player. Um, and for two, he's an elite movable safety is arguably just as impactful as an elite edge. Um, so why not wait and draft an edge at 32? So why aren't people talking more about Kyle Hamilton at number two at number two? So this is fascinating. I think the reason to, to your final part of that question, why aren't they talking about more about him? The answer is easy there. He's a safety. Safeties aren't sexy. It's just not a sexy position, especially when we're talking about the top of the draft. It's like being excited about an offensive tackle. You just can't get people up on Christmas for, for the safety position because if, if your safety is getting involved in a play, something is broken down. Um, but I, I've been I've been all over Kyle Hamilton. I've pounded the table for him pretty well. And I think a lot of that is, and I was listening to another um I was I was taught I was listening and talking with some of our buddies from the UK podcast for Roar of the Lions. Shout out to them. And like I think their opinion matches up to mine. Like there's not I, I don't think it's as I don't have as severe of his opinion as them, but the opinion of one of them was that there's no such, there's no blue chip prospects in this draft outside of Kyle Hamilton. You have good quality starter guys, but not guys you look at and see like guys who are going to potentially make hall of fame numbers or pro bowl or all pro numbers, except for one name. And that's Kyle Hamilton. 
And I think a lot of our looking at the draft so far this year has been the same trap we always get into, which is position of need over best player available, which makes sense considering the specific needs the Lions have. And I try to stay open to ideas like we talk about this with quarterback that if there isn't the blue chip available, then but and if your need for quarterback is such that you might not have it there next year, why not go for quarterback? But on the inverse side of it, and this is the other argument I entertain, is if Kyle Hamilton is as good as people say, that he is going to be that guy who who is very good as the safety slash outside linebacker help, the tweener we've kind of seen, kind of an even better Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, then the Lions need safety. And if he is the best player available in the draft, and all numbers seem to indicate he's the best athlete in this draft. I, I don't see why you wouldn't. It's just, again, he's not an edge. He's not a quarterback. So he just doesn't, he doesn't seem sexy. Well, it's about impact, right? Because you're right. If, if we're, if I hate to use this term because no pick in the draft is safe, but it certainly seems like Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton is among the safest picks in the draft you can make. He's a blue but chip. He, he's a blue chip. That's what it comes down to. But you're trying to make an impact in number two. You need a guy who is going to be a game wrecker. And there aren't a lot of game wrecking safeties in the league, period. There just aren't. It's not a position that lends itself to game wrecking. Right. And edges, period. And that's 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 the end of the conversation right there. And you can you can ignore it. You can say that drafting a safety in the top five and the top three is worth it. But there's very, very little evidence of that actually ever being true whether you're talking about like individual statistics like war or, 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 you know, win percentage added, all, all that sort of stuff. Everything tells you that an edge guy is much more valuable than a safety. And, and, and you can, you can argue against the numbers and shake your fists at the numbers all you want, but it's, it's true. And so the, the question then becomes, and, and it's part of the question that was asked, is there a big enough difference in the edge class between someone at two and someone potentially at 32? I think the answer still is yes. I think, I think we're starting to, I don't know. I, I think we're like, we're, we're trying to talk ourselves out of Aiden Hutchinson. We're, we're trying to talk ourselves out of Kayvon Thibodeau. There's, there's that very, you know, vague rumor that, that came from the senior bowl week that, that Kayvon doesn't have the attitude or something like it. I don't know. I don't like those kind of rumors. I I hate, I don't either. I don't buy it. I I feel like we've just reached a point in the off season because draft talk starts in November. We're we're trying to talk ourselves out of edge guys. And I think, I think edge is the easy and smart pick. I I, I'm sorry. I let Ryan answer this and then we'll probably end it on this question. But like, I think the one thing that has changed is we have started talking more about Carl Loftus and Jermaine Johnson. That now we're talking ourselves into the potential that there might be four edge rushers going or at least defensive ends going in the first round of this draft. So now we see the kind of depth and I think people are banking on the value of the depth still being there at 32. And thus, if the depth of the value is there at 32, then you just go best player available at, at two. But I don't, I I don't know is, is my best answer. What do you think, Ryan? I know one class uh, of position uh, in the draft this year that is much deeper than, than edge and that's safety. Like everybody's That's true. Talking, There's some every, great safeties in this draft. Everybody's talking. I mean, I, I saw I saw Jordan Reed um, from ESPN, formerly of the Draft Network. Like he tweeted it the other day. He's like, "Man, the safety class is deep." And like that either got interacted with by a quote tweet or a reply from every draft Nick that you follow, saying like, "Yeah, like yep. there's like 
there's six, seven dudes that are like going to be productive NFL players. Um, and I, 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 you know, I'm just talking myself into the idea that like you can push off safety until 32 or 34. Um, it, it just seems like it, it's less the best player available. And it's more like what Jeremy's saying in terms of edge is just a, it changes the game more often than a safety does. Yeah. You're making plays at edge. You, you just start safeties, mostly getting involved when a play is broken down to stop, to stop it, the bleeding from getting worse. And you know where else safety is pretty deep? Free agency pool this year. And you know, it's a lot easier to find in free agency, a young, good safety. It's almost impossible to find a young, good edge defender in free agency. Yeah. Certain yeah. positions just get held on to uh, offensive linemen, uh, edge, edge rushers. And why is that it? Why do you think that is? Do you think maybe that can circle around this discussion? You hold on to your young edge guys because they matter more than young, good safety. Yeah. I, I, I would just say, again, the only argument I can throw again to, towards the Kyle Hamilton side is that, Depending on the the scouts you ask, like Kyle Hamilton is just it is a deep safety class, but Kyle Hamilton probably has the chance to be he's gonna be a baller. He, he's going he's gonna be more than a baller. Well, I don't know. There, there's so there I, I've seen a lot of people to Chris's point that say, like, hey, you're gonna have to throw this whole like safety thing discussion that we're having right now about it not being like a you know super important position that you should draft highly and throw it out the window after Kyle Hamilton plays because he's gonna change the narrative kind of like Quentin Nelson did for guards. Yeah, no, he's one of these, he's one of the tweener guys who can play like outside linebacker. And we've kind of seen this creeping up from the college ranks. I mentioned Jeremiah Wusu, Koromoa, Sua Craven, I think was the same deal, but Hamilton represents kind of the apotheosis of that attempt at the hybrid. So I don't know if that's valuable to NFL teams yet. We'll see. I think it's been a lot of teams trying to figure out kind of like with superbacks trying to figure out this thing that's come up from college that they don't quite know how to use yet. But I think some teams will soon, but we'll see. So there it is. We dipped our toes back into a mailbag. We did it. We'll try to do it each week. Should we bring back ask POD? Maybe. Hashtag we'll ask POD. What did ask POD stand for? Ask pride of Detroit. No, 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 no. Remember, like we shared that hashtag with somebody. It was like, oh. a, it was like some kind of like, like a podiatrist or something yeah, like psychiatric doctor or something oh, like yeah. that. It was definitely, a it, it was, but also at the same time, I think um, for a while it was also shared with actual like POD youth of the nation. Yeah. No, we are. We are. All right. When we come back diving into, we've got Dan Campbell here. We've got not him. literally, not, not literally, not literally, but we sat him down at the desk. We were asking him what he's doing here. Performance review. And we're going to be the bosses this time. We'll be right back on the Friday Detroit POV cast. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Now it is time to talk DC, to talk Dan Campbell. During this segment, we will not talk about kneecaps, except for maybe talking about a little bit about his introductory press conference. But rest assured, we are not one of those jackals from other media outlets who just go, ha kneecaps. That is our promise. That is the guaranteed promise. However, I think there were initial concerns to start, and we will now start with, first off, what happened before the season. We can talk about, we're going to kind of go chronologically on this. This is going to take up the next two segments as we talk about our concerns before the season, our questions before the season, successes and failures he had in the season, and then how we feel after the season. But Jeremy, we start with when he was kind of introduced to Detroit. And I said, we're not going to talk kneecaps, yeah, but, 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 but the introductory press conference was very much so, um, I don't know if it was silly, but he definitely established himself as being the positive rah, rah kind of guy. Yeah. And, and I also want to just kind of talk about the overall thoughts on the hire when it happened, because I feel like mm-hmm. it was fairly lukewarm, right? There, there were, there were a lot of concerns. We're going to go through them now, but I, I don't think, you know, not, he wasn't not on the radar to start. He was not on the ra- anyone's right. radar to start. Wasn't on anyone's radar. I think there was a lot more groundswell of support and excitement for a guy like Matt Patricia, not that that proved out to be true or, you know, right. Or anything like that, but it, it there just wasn't a lot of hubbub over it. And I thought that was interesting, but yeah, one, one thing that was exacerbated by that, that um, initial press conference was like, Oh, he's just like this rah, rah kind of corny guy. And, and the criticism was that that sort of stuff isn't going to work in the NFL. That sort of stuff doesn't get people pumped up. This is a different age and this is corny and it doesn't resonate. I think we, we found out pretty clear that, yeah, that take was bullshit. Uh, He's a former, if you want to pull up the quote that I know you were looking for earlier, Chris, like his message resonates. And the reason it resonates is because he's a former player. And and that, that means a lot to these players. And and he knows he's, he's been in those rooms for years as an assistant head coach. Like he was a guy that sometimes in new Orleans just, went in front of a room and, and gave them that pump up speech and it resonates. Uh, I'll let, I'll let Ryan get to his concerns in a second. I do want to, you mentioned the quote. So Jason Kambinda was re-signed 
two-year deal. But one of the things I, he said that I thought was interesting was uh, he's speaking about Dan Campbell here. He's been in our shoes. He knows the grind. He knows the pain. He knows what it feels like after games for your body to be beat up. So when he speaks, there's another level of intensity. And I think that's important. Again, I'm kind of jumping ahead to the re- to what we know after the fact. At the time, it definitely wasn't clear as him being a former player. But I think even I was making the point at the time is like, look, former players have been wanting to former NFL players. We got to specify because there's plenty of off coaches who started as offensive analysis, whose peak of football probably was like Division three NCAA. But he played in the NFL in the aughts. He played for the Lions in 2008. So that and, and in, in starting roles too, like, well, not starter, but like he was seeing the field more than just practice squad or some offseason stuff. He was on game day, 53 man rosters. Like, so he would, he, that I think lended to something that I even think we were like, most people were discounting at the time was like, this guy has been in the trenches and speaks very closely to players in ways that other coaches there, there's always been this i like the coach the coaching uh factory has always gone through a different line if that makes sense but ryan what were i don't know if you want to respond to that if there was other concerns that you had about him not being an x's nose guys at the time no coordinator experience anything like that i i think the the largest concern right was how he was going to be able to build a staff i think that that was everybody like after the news kind of wore off of all right, Dan Campbell's the guy. It was, well, how is he going? How is, how is a guy who it, like you, like you said, Chris played football into the, into the late aughts and like without any of that coordinator experience, how is he going to be able to assemble a coaching staff around him? Like who's going to be his offensive coordinator? Who's going to be his defensive coordinator? And, you know, a lot of those concerns I think got, got addressed like pretty, pretty promptly. Like I was somebody who was, thumping the table for Aaron Glenn and Aaron Glenn, you know, part of that Bill Parcells coaching tree, you know, Sean Payton. So like, I think that was one of the big dominoes to fall where it was like, okay, like this guy has connections. And then like Anthony Lynn, it's like, okay, like, you know, this, this is a guy who's a former head coach coming to be an offensive coordinator when really he probably could just sit out a coaching cycle higher and maybe throw his hat back in the ring for other head coaching jobs or go to a, go to a place that's much more desirable than Detroit. Right. So, you know, I, a lot of those concerns got washed away rather quickly, but I think that at the, at the Genesis of Dan Campbell's hiring, that was a, a major concern among amongst a lot of people. And and the reason it was such a big concern was because of what, what Chris alluded to. It's the fact that it seemed like a culture hire, right? Like he wasn't a guy who's ever coordinated war. He never called plays. He, he wasn't really, considered amongst the group of people that, that had a bright, you know, and that, he had, that bright offensive mind that everyone's looking for the next Sean McVay and all that sort of, he, yeah, he wasn't and, that guy. He was a culture hire and listen to a lot. And, and I, I, I was a little weary of that because I, I wanted the smart football guy and, and, but you know, things kind of swing back and forth in the pendulum. Jim Caldwell, very much a culture guy, not saying he doesn't know football, but very much a culture guy getting in the, the right people, and, and building something healthy within the organization. Then you swing to the genius at Matt Patricia. It doesn't go right. So now you swing back to the culture guy and, and it feels like maybe it's an overcorrection feels like maybe you're, you're getting a guy who, okay, will be respectable, but will he be the one that can take you to the top and, and be that like innovative, awesome new team that that's always on the cutting edge. 
that was that was my concern. And so surrounding himself with a with a good coaching staff was a good first step in saying, okay, let me let me see what this guy's got. Right. And like, I think it was important to note too, we had coordinators being looked at from coaches from both sides of the ball that year too. Sala, as well as, you know, guys who are going to go on the offensive side, including guys who aren't just pass court, pass heavy guys too. There was a lot of run, run offensive line coordinator names that were up there, but yeah, the lions went this way. And again, his only real coaching experience up until that point, at least is what was perceived was when he came as the interim head coach, for the dolphins for like seven games back in uh, more, actually more than 12 games, 12 games, excuse me, back when uh, Joe Philbin got fired. What was that? 2015, I think. I think that's right. So, yeah. So he had, he had been away. And even when he had been the head coach there, he was kind of, I I don't want to say he had as bad as a reputation as like a Ben McAdoo as kind of a guy in over his head, but he definitely had was stereotyped as the muscles for brains. Like this was they, a guy who's just there. yelling and loving talking about, oh, but he was, but yeah, everyone was talking about, oh, this is the Oklahoma drills guy. Right. right. And first thing he does when he comes here is talk about kneecaps and his caffeine intake. So right. like, yeah, you, you could, you could understand how the stereotype got, got predicated. And, and, and can I say how all of that shifted pretty quickly into like, oh, that's just authenticity. Like that's who Dan Campbell is. Like, all of that over the topness locally, like locally, it did locally. It I think did. nationally, nationally, people still needed to be concerned. They, they thought the lions had like struck out or if nothing else, they liked the passion, but they hadn't really seen anything solid to really guarantee that like, okay, this is, this is something good. For sure. It, it, it definitely started growing over the course of the season, but I think a lot of the people closer to the team, and I think people, like you said, locally, they saw that less of being a caricature and more of like a guy who is just so like honest and authentic, like especially when he's in front of a microphone, that it's just who Dan Campbell is. So not putting on a show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's now move on to the season itself. Then. Success is from the season. So there was can, definitely can, can we got, like, I know our outline is, is kind of not as much chronological, but I kind of want to go chronologically. Can I, I can I throw a wrench? So in I feel like I feel here? like we should. So you want to start with fail. I think you want to lean more with failures. Maybe because yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I, 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 I kind of want to, too, because I feel like I feel like as we're moving into this new era with like Ben Johnson, because I remember, Jeremy, you you particularly would kill Jim Caldwell for who he put around him as far as his coordinators and coaches and listen they weren't good you right. you, you had joe lombardi jim bob cooter uh um who was the, who was the offensive line coach he was uh, ron prince yeah. ron prince was your offensive line coach terrible hires all the time and i think we kind of at the time paved over it and i think that on paper dan campbell's made a lot of extremely smart hires for a lot of them but are we going to paper over Anthony Lynn? Because Anthony Lynn, as good as he was, as good as he looked on paper on his resume, that offense he put together did not work out at all. And we can we can I just mean, kind of it's sad because Lynn should be respected, but at the end of the day, like he brought in Anthony Lynn, and that system was just not tailored to modern football. Yeah, it's hard to say because. I think we all came in with the kind of expectation that Dan Campbell was going to run kind of an old style kind of off. You want to run right? the football. Yeah. You want yeah. to run the football. And so it seemed like Anthony Lynn would, would be a natural pairing there. And they did run the ball better in the first half of the season. They, they 
in general, for the whole season, really, they, they ran the ball better. But the passing game was just so gone. And I don't know. I it, Again, like, without being in the room, it's hard to point at Anthony Lynn as a problem. And it's probably too simplistic to say, well, once Dan Campbell took over, everything started going better. Like, yes, but that also coincided with Josh Reynolds. That also coincided with Taylor Decker returning. It also coincided with, with Amon Ra getting better. Like, it's, it's hard to give everyone individual credit there so like I, I get I, I, Ben Johnson and I so I get why people are like eh, it didn't work out but who cares um to me like I there there were so much more concerns right off the bat beyond that it was the San Francisco game where this team it, it looked like the the New York Jets game right in 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 Matt Patricia's first year and then everyone kind of hops on this well they came back like you would have never seen a map like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much I buy into like, oh, they got an onside kick. So there, therefore this team fights. And, and we, I think we're sitting here at the end of the season saying that is who this team was. They, they always fought. They, they fought to the end. They, every game was close, but no, that's not true. Like that's not how the first half of the season went at all. They got blown out by the Packers in the second half. They got blown out by the Eagles. They got blown out by the Bengals. They got blown out by the Seahawks. They got blown out by the Broncos. Broncos game's an outlier. It's a little bit of an outlier, but the point still stands. Yeah, pretty like, big outlier, but yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Like I, I know the, the overall point you're trying to communicate is like, this team that like never quit and was like the antithesis of anything that Matt Patricia ever would have put together is all of a sudden now in front of you. And this is the new Detroit lions football. Right. And so, I I mean, and I think like you get to that halfway point of the season and the Eagles just absolutely embarrass you before the bye week and you're, you're burying tapes. That was a low point that was pretty damn low. Like, can I talk about the burying tapes thing? Cause that, that, that was, I, I don't think I was around for that week. So I didn't get comments on that. People were like, celebrating that but i just remember when like jack del rio planted an axe in a locker room about chopping wood it was that kind of silly i just found it hacky to, to be fair also that that was that was aaron glenn that wasn't that wasn't dan campbell but either way still but like my part of part of the culture sure my overall point right there is like and i think we're washing it over a little bit like at that point there were there and and it would have been ridiculous but there were people calling for dan campbell's head at that point they're oh and eight. Oh no they're, i saw them just, in my mentions all the time and, and, the, and the other <laughs> thing, early earlier in that year like you you go back to the endings of some of these games that were close you go to the endings of the ravens games that didn't seem like a particularly well coached game in the last two minutes of the game the lions laid up on offense and kicked a field goal and then obviously conservative calling on defense same thing happens a couple of weeks later against the vikings when they only have 40 some seconds to, to get in field goal range. Like there were legitimate reasons to be very questionable about this coaching staff halfway through the season. And I don't think we can completely throw them away because they finished, you know, three and three down the stretch. Right. Like I'm not crazy here. The team was really bad too. It was, it was like really bad and, and new. And uh, they dealt with injuries to a lot of players that they were expecting to, to be like high level productive starters, Jeff Okuda and Romeo Quara, sure. Frank Ragnow at center, Taylor Decker. I mean, they're they're taking their yeah. their number seven overall pick and flipping them, you know, each each side. It, but like, it felt in the, in the time like so. Here's the difference. I think 
when you got to that halfway point in the season, for a lot of people, it felt like growing pains. But there were there was this small vocal minority that was like, this is why Dan Campbell was a bad hire all along. I think that there was enough there was enough thrown in there that was like the Rams game, for instance, a game that they had no business as being in, but they decided to put the kitchen sink on a cross country flight across Los Angeles and do everything that they could to try to to beat a Rams team that they had no business beating. Sure. Like that bought um, them some time. It did. It bought them some time. It did. But then it felt like a lot of that got dried up immediately with the Eagles game. And then the, the bye week out of it, like the Steelers game, I think that that's a really pivotal game, right? Because it's the first game that Dan Campbell takes over head coaching or uh, takes over play calling duties, play calling. right? Yeah. And like for, for a minute there with him taking over play calling, people were calling that a mistake yeah. like right away. Like it was not, it was not working. I was probably one of them, honestly, because it seemed it's, it was bold. No, like, I think we can all agree halfway through the season, first year offensive, your offensive coordinator, you're jumping in saying, Nope, you're not doing a good enough job. I mean, he essentially fired over a guy like it, Lynn. Oh yeah. yeah. Over a guy, over a veteran who has been a head coach. Yes. Anthony Lynn. Yes. And like he essentially signed his pink slip right then and there. Yeah. And they go Anthony out and Lynn. lay offensive turds against the Steelers and Browns the first two weeks. I, I think that there's something to the fact that like Anthony Lynn was pretty bad at calling plays in Los Angeles too. Like that's kind of what got him fired too. Um, well, that's, but, that's why I want to ask too, is like, I, as much as we're heralding the the uh, the promotion of Ben Johnson, just again, like I I, and I think like Anthony Lynn not working out kind of throws a wrench into all of our praise of of he's hired a good staff. Like because at some point you've got to be responsible for the duds as well, right? Sure. Yeah, without a doubt, for sure. You have something else, Ryan, or? I think it's just really important to point out that like, this was a team that probably should have won three games. Like, yeah, it, 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 I think that's just, what I think I said three and three and 14 in my season prediction. Yeah. Which is weird because I figured that you of all people would have thrown a tie in there for some reason, but um, I got to start doing that each year. Now <laughs> ties are so much more common now in the NFL. I, I'm just going to start doing that. But, but I think, I think to Jeremy's point, like the way that this season started because it looks so bad at times, like, I mean, there was a point where people really thought that like this team could go winless. Yeah. So, and, no, but they, they ended were up, sure they ended of up, it. <laughs> and they, and they ended up not, you know, so it, it was just a lot of that growth was, um, you know, offset to the back half of the season. And, and that's, and you know, that's where we can sing Dan Campbell's praises. And I think that's what we'll do next. We'll talk a little bit about that second half of the season, what actually worked right from the season. And uh, we'll recap and give him grades and, what surprises most, everything and all that. Coming up next on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Quick break here. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, wrapping up the shop here, going back to our season and review, our seasonal review for Dan Campbell. Uh, We've talked a lot about kind of what wasn't working in the first half and his impressions coming in. Now I feel like we got to get to the second half where there were more successes and then we can, you know, cap it all off and what we think going to the future. So 
And Jeremy, I think we we maybe kind of hinted in talking about low lights that we overvalued the second half a bit, but there were a lot of good promising elements from the second half as he got once he got comfortable calling plays. And I think there's something to be said. And I know you had, we had pushed back and argued during the season itself about the idea that guys were still fighting late into these games, even though they were blowouts sometimes and like how much value there is now that we've got a full season under the belt. Does that factor into you at all when you're talking about successes for the season? Or I think I know, you know what? I already know. I can see it in your eyes right now. You just want to talk about going for it on fourth down. Don't you? <laughs> no, well, no, no. Let's, let's talk about the, the, Come on, because I know deep, it, deep down you want to talk about fourth down, but I mean, uh, yeah. that we're, we're, we're going we're to, going to talk about fourth down. Uh, but I, I, the answer is, is kind of a mixed bag here because I don't think the, that whole like playing until the fourth quarter, playing against some of the better teams and, and still fighting, I think part of that is, is a little overplayed. I feel like you can say that about just any other, like just about any other team, right? Like Jacksonville still managed to win three or four games or whatever they won. And can't say that about the Giants, but yeah, I, I get your larger point. But like, yeah, I, I just think that sort of stuff generally happens a lot in, in the NFL. Is you, you get weird teams beating good teams because these these guys are fighting like fighting for their jobs. What I will say though is the culture of this team is is a thousand percent different. And and that matters. It matters. It matters in the work ethic through the week. It matters in retaining players that you like. Um, it matters in, in bringing in new free agents. That, that, to me, was the much bigger success than this kind of like narrative that only worked for about half of the games where they, they were scrappy until the end. Like, they were when they, when they were, but they also weren't when they weren't. So, to me, it, I, it's always tough to judge effort in a football game in the middle of a football game. I think, in general, players are giving it them they're all most of the time. Um, but when it comes to the work week, when it comes to, um, you know, just overall morale, which, which is important, Dan, Dan Campbell passed in, in, in flying colors. And, and yeah, that's, that's one of, one of, I think his, his better traits is, is just being able to keep morale high during a lot of, um, you know, adversity. And, and this team went through a hell of a lot of adversity in, in year one, and they'll probably go through some more next year. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, when, when I think about <clears throat> overall what, what made Dan Campbell so successful in Detroit, it probably starts with what you said, Jeremy. Like, I'm I'm locking step with you on that in, in the sense that, like, this is a team that clearly uh, – I, I would say, like, with – aside from the Philadelphia game and the Cincinnati game, like, it seemed like it they always showed up to play. And, like – aside from two blowouts, like I think that they always showed up ready to play. And, you know, for, for a first year head coach with a team that, you know, really wasn't that talented to, to, to say that, like, at least the games were competitive, I think is, I think that's something that Dan Campbell can hang his hat on in year one. Yeah. Do we want to move on to another positive? You want to talk about fourth down? <laughs> I mean, I guess let, you're, you're, you're so gung. Yeah, I let's could. Stop you, you I mean, want, I kind of like keep kicking it down. Like we're gonna get to it, guys. But I don't know what else to say. Like he's part of this well, new trend that happened this year, where a lot of coaches were under fire for going for it on fourth down, but also were going for it on fourth, fourth down. Yeah, 
but like Arthur Lions Smith. Are, yeah. Lions did it. And, you know, you can look at that, that Ben Baldwin chart that, that popped up occasionally through the season of like correct choices by, by his metrics, by his fourth down win probability type of thing. Um, Dan Campbell was, I think either finished first or second in that, in that um, uh, stat. And so, yeah, I mean, that was super promising because again, like, one of these kind of preconceived notions about him was that he was an old school kind of guy that would play, you know, long possessions and play the field position battle rather than adopt this NFL where people are scoring 35 points a game and you got to keep up. And so, yeah, the, the question is, and I feel like we raised this question a lot during the entire season is whether that's going to hold when we're talking about a Lions team that doesn't need that, that isn't playing from behind, that doesn't have to throw the kitchen sink at the opponent just to compete. Will Dan Campbell still have those aggressive tendencies when, I don't know, they hold a 14 to seven lead in the third quarter. Are they still going to go for it at midfield? Or are they going to punt? And I don't know what the answer to that is. That that That's kind of to, to maybe the, the later part of this conversation is whether, whether that was just a result of desperation and, and, you know, the, the Rams kind of game plan where it's just like, we're going to give them every single thing we got because we know we can't compete man to man. And and I don't know what the answer to that is. I think to that point, I'm really excited for Dan Campbell's second season because yeah. I think that's that's one of those areas where you can see either some of the growth or um, how Dan Campbell will will, you know, grow alongside this team getting more talented in terms of, in terms of the players that they have on their roster. I, I think to that point too, like hopefully Dan Campbell had an opportunity to, to kind of just work through some of the, you know, mistakes that he made, you know, like calling back-to-back timeouts against Chicago and, <laughs> you know, some, some other kind of foibles that he had, like that's what has me so interested for season two, because I feel like he's a coach who I'm, I'm interested to see his, his own growth because we, we got a really raw head coach in, in, I mean, ostensibly like his first real, his first real job. And and if you remember early in the season, like there were some fourth down calls that it wasn't necessarily the going for it. That was under fire, it was, but it was the wrong like, play call. It was just bad play calling. There was, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple throws. There was a couple, I, I think, I feel like there was a Jason Cabinda run that got stuffed somewhere in the middle there as well. And they were really trying to figure it out. And I feel like they eventually kind of found a groove at least a little bit there their fourth down percentage wasn't anything special this year, but, um, but I think overall they got better at that, but I, th- I think he did kind of face some of that early criticism that, that we saw um, some of the other coaches catch later in the season where it's just like, are you sure going for it on fourth down is the good decision, especially if your offense is this bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well like the math still worked out in the favors, but yeah, no, there was definitely, I feel like I feel like the Chargers got a lot more of that blowback on fourth down. Just, just in the one game, really, Jesus but yeah, Christ, yeah, and listening to Bill Cowher losing his mind during the playoffs. But uh, yeah, that was definitely is definitely exciting because it, it it indicates at least forward thinking in that regard. I, I mean, the big success has to come back to, and I go back to the Lynn thing, but it comes to the flexibility on the coaching staff too. And like, yeah, it's just, and the roster too, just, I, I don't know. Like, I, again, we talk about that. It's a mixed bag for guys buying in, but I feel like just listening to people around there talking about how well everything is coached and how well 
you know, how, how different the culture is. And I know we've kind of bagged on and said that culture is just winning, but I think this was kind of a foil against that. This definitely was a culture that felt like it was built up, that it was, especially to come in after Matt Patricia to set a new, better workplace environment. And it is a workplace at the end of the day, professional sports work means you're that playing the game is your work and getting ready for playing that game is your work. And he, I felt has built pretty, I don't know. It's we'll, we'll have to see if it actually pays off because this always comes back down to wins and losses, but it's definitely a healthier work environment if nothing else. Right. It does come down to wins and losses, Chris, but I think the one thing that Dan Campbell, and I wanted to ask you guys, like, what is the, what's your, what's your biggest best takeaway from Dan Campbell's first season? And I think for me, it's how he won over the fans. Like I, I remember the poll that we ran at the end of the season, Jeremy, about like the approval rating for Dan Campbell. And it was 100%. Yeah. And we just said like, we'd have people show up during game day in my mentions, your mentions, Jeremy's mentions who thought he should be fired after like eight games. And it was very loud because, and we even said it before the season, we didn't think Lions fans were ready for a full on rebuild. But I mean, by the end of the season, I, I, it's really hard to find people who aren't Dan Campbell fans. Right. And I mean, part of that is a little bit of recency bias, right? Like I think we can all agree that because I mean, I think we talked about it at the time. If, if that season had ended after the Seahawks game, you know, week 17, when they, they get blown up by Seattle and yes, backup quarterback on the road, blah, blah, blah. But if I, I do feel like the tone would be a little bit different heading into the off season. So beating the Packers, albeit, you know, a, a backup team in the second half does a little bit to change all that. I think. Good thing they played that game. <laughs> Good thing they played yep. that game. <laughs> uh, in terms of, of, of successes or, or, or things that you were happy, I'm, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say two things. One is thing we, we, we touched on a little bit, but really deserves some, some underlining him taking over play calling worked. Yeah. It was, it was a gamble, but it worked. Yeah. It was a gamble, but it also really proved one of the things that was the biggest question. Is this guy an X's and O's guys? Is this a guy that knows the game of football enough where, where he can do some innovative stuff? And and the answer is yes. Like I, I know a lot of the, the the praise is going to Ben Johnson, but Dan Campbell was the one calling plays. He's certainly involved in that whole playmaking process. And there were some really freaking fun plays that we saw at the end of that season. They realized Amon Ra was a special person and they started developing things just for him. Some of the trick plays that they pulled were really, really creative and cool. And And listen, Dan Campbell deserves credit for that all, whether he's the one creating them or not. And that was, I mean, that's huge. That was, that was something I didn't know was in his wheelhouse. I, I didn't know that was part of his arsenal. So that to me was huge. And then to kind of go back on Chris's point about creating culture, to me, it was more about the la- like the language they used when they talked about their own jobs, coaching players, they would always use the word teacher. I'm a teacher first. And that involves communication, right? Communication is absolutely key as a teacher. I'm sure you can back that up, Ryan. It's all about the way you communicate to your, your students. And in this case, like every time any, pretty much any coach stepped in front of a podium this year, you could sense that you could sense how good of a communicator they were because of the way that they communicated with, with, you know, the, the media and, and we would have interesting questions and they would give very thorough for the most part, very thorough 
interesting answers that, that we can understand. And you can just sense how that communication makes them so much better teachers rather than, you know, the authoritarian type or whatever. Like these guys not only know the game of football, but they know how to explain the game of football. And that means a ton, an absolute ton. And that's why we saw so much growth amongst the, the youth in this team. All right, let's wrap up and uh, just give recaps. I don't know if you guys want to give a grade or something, but any final notes you have, anything that surprised you the most. And if you want to give a grade, go ahead. No, go first, Ryan. Yeah, I'll go ahead and go first. I, for, for Dan Campbell in his first year, uh, I I agree with Jeremy to an extent about the recency bias, but like I, I'd be willing to give him the name minus. I think that he did just about everything that I – could have expected out of a coach, but it's hard to ignore some of the stinkers. Like it's hard to ignore um, some of the, uh, you know, some of the just like coaching blunders in terms of, like I said, the, the back-to-back timeouts against Chicago and, and, and some of the other stuff earlier on in the season. But I think that he's a guy who grew over the season. Like he wouldn't have gotten an A minus at the halfway point. Right. Like I think at the halfway point, if we would have given out like a midterm grade, he probably would have had like a C plus or a B minus. But I, I mean, he, he earned that a minus by the end of the season. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm probably B plus range. So right, right there with you. Um, like I said, he, he, he proved pretty much every preconceived notion about him wrong. And that's, that's huge. He, he proved he can, you know, despite only working with the saints and the, the dolphins, he has a good enough reach where he can pull in some pretty darn good coaches. Um, you know, he, his meatheadness did work. People really seem to like him and, and play for him. It's not corny to them. And, and yeah, like the, the play calling thing, the, the fact that he's football savvy is huge. The only questions I have remaining about him are, the fourth down stuff, whether that aggression will stay when the team is better. And then same kind of thing as you said, like the end of game stuff. We saw this play in, in this playoffs, like end of game scenarios are life and death in, in the NFL. And so when this team is, is good enough where they're going to be in a lot of end of game scenarios, they need to be better than they were this year. They were not good in one score games. They were not good in late, late game scenarios. They really only won one game in a, in a kind of a late minute drive. That's a Vikings game. Everything else kind of fell apart, whether it's conservative play calling, whether it's the double timeout chaos, whether it, they just didn't seem as quite prepared for those late game scenarios. So that to me is one big lingering concern that, that is going to matter. It's going to be huge and jury's still out. I'm not, I'm not condemning them saying Dan Campbell can't, you know, deliver under, under pressure situations, but it's something we still absolutely need to see a little more consistency of and, and kind of figure out who he is in those late game scenarios. Yeah. I think he's a B plus for me. Um, I think I, I, again, I go back to what I said before the season and I looked at the roster and everything, like it's hard to overstate how bombed out everything was after Matt Patricia got his shit cleaned out of here. Like just, I, the, the, I go back to Matt Patricia's comment where he's like, well, I've got to rebuild coming in here. It's like, no, you didn't. You fucking tore this thing apart. You, you brought, you chopped this thing down. It's like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> it, just so everything was just leveled after, and Dan Campbell had to pick up that piece and it was a tall job. And I'm not saying three wins is what people expected, but I still talk with people who think Dan Campbell is among Lions fans who, and there still are a few out there who think Dan Campbell is somehow a bad coach. And I think for, to, to explain to them, it's like, you have to understand just how bombed out this thing is. 
And for what he did, the job he did that didn't just have people. I, again, I, I remember sitting there on, on doing like national radio sometimes and like, yeah, you'd have people who'd make the same jokes about the lions, but you'd also have a lot of guys who were former players or former scouts or anything like that. Also talking very glowingly about Dan Campbell. And that's not something you would get in the past with some of the coordinator hires. You'd have guys saying like, Hey, he's got something that he's working on. That's, that's very special. So it's, it's incomplete. So I hesitate to give the grade, but we got to give one after a first year. And again, a lot of that to me comes from rebuilding the culture. I mean, I'm going to keep taking points off because of Anthony Lynn and I still have questions about what the offense will look like under Ben Johnson. Sure. And I think those are very well warranted. I don't know if, you know, and part of that again is the roster. I don't know what it's going to keep looking like with Jared Goff too. And it's going to depend on how well Jared Goff continues to play down the road, but for at least what he's responsible for, what Dan Campbell is responsible for, which seems to be like, you know, again, it's managing the locker room. I think it's all been B plus B, B, B high, low B plus. So BB plus range. Like I, I know I'm being harsher here than you 86%. Guys. Yeah. I, 86% sounds fantastic actually. <laughs> Cause as you say, it was, it was pretty bad in the first half, but I think it is bad for every first year head coach. Like everyone wanted, you know, Robert Sala, Sala and the jets did not get off to a great start either. Sala and the jets. Yeah. I, I, that was kind of where I kind of wanted to, to take maybe end the conversation is just like looking back on the coaches that were available, maybe just the coaching search that the lions completed because I don't know. It felt at the time like it was a much thorougher search than it was. Really, the general manager search was right. a little more thorough than than the coaching search. They just they interviewed Marvin Lewis, Eric Bieniemy, Daryl Bevel, Robert Sala, Arthur Smith, and Dan Campbell, and maybe Matt Matt Campbell probably. I don't know. There, there, there were probably <laughs> there were probably conversations there based on reports. Um, but as far as I remember, I don't think anyone got a second interview. Like. I think basically they went off that. And then like, I don't want to say that they fell in love with Dan Campbell because I, I feel like that has negative kind of connotations, but it felt kind of like they found their guy and then they were just kind of okay with that. And well, yeah, look, I, I think, I think of all those coaches we talked about, the ones who did get jobs, Arthur Smith, Robert Sala, like didn't walk into good positions like either. And right. I think it's easy enough. Like the only one who really walked into a good position of a lot of the hires was probably Brandon Staley. Like, and I, I know everyone loves Staley, but he walked into a great roster in, in with the chargers, but he, he walked also, into a quarterback. He walked into a quarterback that he is now putting under the yoke of Joe Lombardi, which I don't think we talk enough about right. that right. from right. from a national as side. much as much as I, I love the guy and, and everything he stands for. And Joe Lombardi press conference that I've seen. Joel Lombardi kind of looms over in the same way, probably a much worse way than, than Anthony Lynn looms over. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, let, let's, let's, I mean, I just want to compare Dan Campbell to maybe Arthur Smith and the jobs going down with the Falcons. And again, the Falcons won seven games, but they well, also have Fugazi, seven games in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly Fugazi, but also they, and, and he's old and throwing ducks, but you at least have Matt Ryan. Right. Yeah. Yep. So. Is there any any one of the guys that they interviewed that you would rather have than Dan Campbell right now? 
No, I mean, I, I, I stumped the table for Marvin Lewis and I thought Marvin Lewis, if he had been hired would be a fantastic hire because I think he did a great job with no scouts in Cincinnati and he built most of the roster. Then he built a lot of the roster that Zach Taylor after a few bombed out seasons now gets a lot of credit for too. But, uh, the other guys in there, Bienemy, I was, I've never been sold on Bienemy. Bevel, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, they they gave him the the nod just because he was the interim head coach, but I feel like Bevel's destined to always be an interim head coach. Um, Sala, I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm not thrilled with the Jets, but they're also the Jets. Arthur Smith, okay, whatever. Um, Todd Bowles, whatever. Um, Matt Campbell, I don't think he's ready for the NFL. He's probably the best of those out of there. Yeah. The, the Robert Solo one is the one that's, that's always going to loom over this franchise's head because it seemed like almost a done deal just, just by the, the, the public's kind of momentum, not sure. Not because, sure. Like, but there, I there will a deal on the table. Yeah. I, I that's going to be on the table. <laughs> that's going to be a tough one just because again, like he's got to turn around the jets. Right. And I don't think Zach Wilson was a great, I mean, maybe he surprises me, but Zach Wilson, I didn't think was a great draft pick for them. It's early, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in like those two Campbell and, and Salah are going to have just kind of these tied together paths. And I'm, I'm curious. Especially since Salah is the local kid too. Yeah. Right. Anything else guys? I think we did it. Dan Campbell, you're free to go. Thanks yeah. for coming into our office. Thank you guys. I will now draft Malik Willis at number two. Oh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great Dan Campbell impression, by the way. <laughs> You just absolutely now, you, now let me it. suck down some coffee. It's just it's, you're going to be working for Fox two morning for pregame show now with that great impression. You and Frank. Right. Jesus. Let's get out of here. All right. For myself, for Jeremy Reisman, for Ryan Matthews, I'm Chris Perfett. For all of us at Pride Detroit, we will see you star side. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today